Are you tired of your valuable ideas and suggestions getting lost in the shuffle? Well, that is why I'm introducing Direct Suggest, the revolutionary digital suggestion box that puts your voice front and center. With Direct Suggest, you have the power to make a difference in your organization. Direct Suggest provides value to organizations in various industries worldwide, including notable brands like Comcast, TD Bank, and Nokia. And here's the best part. Direct Suggest only costs 50 cents per employee per month, making it an affordable solution for businesses of all sizes. Plus, they have an incredibly high ROI and savings potential with an average 33 times return on investment. The implementation process is also a breeze. Once committed, setting up Direct Suggest from start to finish can be completed in as quickly as a week or less. Don't let your ideas or your team's ideas go unnoticed. Visit directsuggest.com today and start by making a difference with Direct Suggest. Use the promo code HUMANHR for your extended 60-day free trial. Again, visit directsuggest.com to learn more and remember to use promo code HUMANHR for an extended free trial. Direct Suggest, where your voice matters. Welcome to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast. I'm Tracy Chernoff, and I've spent my entire professional career in HR. Each week, we'll explore the delicate balance between people and business with the aim to reconnect the two and create meaningful outcomes. Listen in as I share my own experiences, challenge the status quo, and chat with guests from various industries about our mission to bring the human back to human resources. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here for another week. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're catching this episode. And, you know, we've we've talked about uh, workplace culture a ton on this podcast because it's relevant every single day. But I'm really excited because I have a guest that's going to help us dive into this topic even further, and that is Dr. Jessica Kriegel, who is the Chief Scientist of Workplace Culture for Culture Partners, a leading research and strategy in best practices for driving results through culture. Her doctoral research and practical application through consulting engagements with Oracle, Toyota, Lockheed Martin, and Bank of America, just to name a few, led to the cultural or culture equation, excuse me, a tested model where strategy combined with culture to deliver consistent results. Today, Jessica applies data-driven insights to dismantle the chaos of poor morale, low performance, and missed financial goals. She's an author, Fortune 100 thought leader, and international keynote speaker, as well as a frequent contributor on Fox Business, CNN, MSNBC, and CNBC. Thank you so much for joining us, Jessica. It's such a pleasure to have you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes. Well, I would love to jump right into this topic. I mean, one of the things that we definitely have to dive into is this idea around how to drive business results through culture. How how can we do that? A culture obviously remains a, one of the number one topics, not only on this podcast, but in general when, when people are talking about business. Well, culture remains one of the number one topics because it still is such a mystery to so many people. I think when you ask 100 CEOs what culture is, you get 100 different answers. And that's part of what we're trying to demystify. And oftentimes, leaders believe that culture is a touchy-feely, woo-woo concept about doing the right thing or being a good person or making people feel happy at work. And and that's not our belief about culture or how culture drives results. So very simply, culture is how people think and act to drive results. And that is it. So when we are talking about shifting culture and shaping culture, we're talking about shifting and shaping the way people think and the way that they act in a sustained way so that the company can get better results. And 
what oftentimes you'll see is you, I mean, and this is true for every organization, your culture is perfectly aligned right now with the results that you're getting. It's perfect. It's exactly what it needs to be to get the results you're getting today. That's why you're getting those results. And what many culture strategists and consultants do is when they do culture consulting, they'll go into a company and they'll dig up all of the baggage by interviewing people and doing surveys. And they'll say, what don't you like? What's not working? What's roadblocking you? Right. And then they give you a list of 10 things that everyone has complained about and say, this is what's broken in your culture. You need to fix these 10 things. And then surprise, surprise, they come along with an upsell of how much it's going to cost to fix those things. And that's not our approach. What we do is we say, what results do you want to get? What are you trying to achieve? What's your big bad, awesome North Star goal that we want to help you get to. Let's figure that out first. And then we're going to help you create the culture that will get you there. And that's how culture drives results is when you realize that it's really just how people think and act to get results. That's really interesting. And immediately I think about change management and how difficult it is to change behaviors, whether it's in business or otherwise. So when you've identified what the challenges are, how do you actually go about changing those behaviors? Because that's probably arguably the hardest part. Yeah. So we don't identify challenges. We identify results. And then mm -hmm. we need to reverse engineer to figure out what behavior would we need to see in this organization in order for us to achieve those results. Let's say you're moving from being a product oriented, <laughs> oh my goodness, I'm starting over. Let's say you're moving from being a product services organization. Oh my God, I'm going to start up one more time. Let's say you're moving from being a product organization to a services orientation. Then you need to figure out how people need to act differently in that case. Most leaders get stuck in what we call the action trap. So the action trap is, here's what I need people to do. Let's create activity that gets them to do those different things. So they'll focus on things like, organization redesigns or training or hiring and firing. And these are all actions that ultimately you're trying to take in order to change results, but they're missing the thing that is beneath behavior. It's the thing that motivates all human behavior. And that is our beliefs. I hold certain beliefs about the world. It's a mindset, right? It's the, it's the way I think about the world. And when I act, it's always in alignment with my beliefs. And if you want people to act differently in the workplace, you need to foster the beliefs that will get them to take the action you need them to take. And so yeah. that's where we start is getting out of the action trap of doing activity, 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 and rather saying, what beliefs do we need to develop and nurture in this organization so employees will take the initiative proactively to engage in the right activity so that you can get the results you're trying to achieve. And just to finish the loop here, what creates belief is experiences. So it's all about intentional experiences that we co-create every day. Thousands of times a day, we're having experiences. And when we can be intentional about those experiences, we foster beliefs, which drive actions, which gets us results. And that's really the culture model we use. It's called the results pyramid and it, it just works. That's really interesting. And I, I guess the other thought that I had here too is like, are there um, obvious barriers to achieving these results? Like, let's say you go into an organization, you've identified the results, you've identified what behaviors need to be implemented, changed, et cetera. 
where do where are typical uh, roadblocks found? Is it in leadership? Is it in individuals not willing to change, or is it something different from that? I think one of the largest roadblocks that we see is in ensuring there's a mindset of taking accountability within an organization, because mm-hmm. oftentimes people want to blame others for why things aren't happening. And we have a very simple accountability model. I don't know if you are familiar with the book, The Oz Principle, that's us. And it talks about above the line thinking and below the line thinking. And below the line thinking is it's not my job. It's not my fault. I wasn't involved. That's just, I, 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 someone else can do it. It's the blame game. It's being a victim to circumstances. Above the line thinking is saying, I'm going to make a personal choice to see it, own it, solve it, do it. And that is my responsibility. When people think culture is something that the CEO creates, they're not taking accountability because I have an experience when I engage with a colleague that's at my level without my CEO even knowing that it happened that shapes my understanding of culture. So we co-create culture all together. And so sometimes the first thing we do with any organization is really focus on that belief of taking accountability which we do through experiences, right? We create intentional experiences that will elevate the level of accountability, not accountability the way we often think of it, which is whose fault is this, who is to blame, but rather empowering people to take ownership of their decision to see the problem, own the problem, solve the problem, do the problem, and realizing it's, it comes from within, which is why the book was called The Oz Principle, because Dorothy and the lion and the scarecrow, they had what they wanted within all along, right? So that is what we're trying to help empower organizations with and help leaders inspire accountability on their teams. Fabulous. Accountability is really, I mean, it's kind of the crux of everything. If someone, the more accountable someone is, not only is it an easier time to actually affect whether it's change or, you know, adapt to a changing environment, adversity, whatever it is, accountability and mutual ownership. I mean, that is, it really lives at the center of everything that we do, especially in HR, because, you know, whether it's a performance conversation or it's something like, you know, needing to find improvement somewhere or to fix, you know, close a gap in a process or something like that, accountability always kind of comes back to being the center of everything. So it's really interesting that you share that. And you know, it then leads me to wonder about how generational differences can influence some of this. Like, are do you ever see in the work that you do the implication of generational differences, maybe even misunderstandings in the way that people work? Because we know that the boomer generation is very different from the Gen Z generation and it's very different than millennials. And we see memes and videos all the time poking fun at the generational differences. So I guess it's it's almost like a two-part question. One, are there obvious challenges with these differences? And two, is there a way to acknowledge these differences while uniting an organization in making changes to achieve results? Yeah, I mean, I think it is the perceived differences that are in fact the problem that even 
help facilitate a culture without accountability, because oftentimes you'll see millennials blaming boomers because of the way that boomers are, or Gen mm -hmm. Xers blaming Gen Zers because of the way they perceive that generation to be. I This was actually the study that I did for my doctoral dissertation. I thought there was going to be significant differences across generations, and I wanted to know what those differences were and how to attract and engage and retain different generations. And I was shocked when I did the research, it turns out there isn't nearly as many perceived differences as there as we think there are. And a lot of what we talk about and read about on these media outlets online that seem very clickable are just stereotyping. Mm -hmm. And it's ageism hiding in a generational label, which is below mm -hmm. the line thinking. It's, well, I can't do it because millennials are lazy. Uh, you know, the, mm -hmm. that generation mm -hmm. is entitled. They're not tech savvy or they are tech savvy. All of that is just the blame game. And when you dig into the research, the adoption rates of technology in the workplace are the same across generations. They're not the same in our personal life, but in the workplace, it is the same adoption rate regardless of how old the person is. So this idea that there's digital natives and digital immigrants in the workplace, that evens out. Another common misconception is that younger generations are less loyal to their employers than older generations. Well, the Employee Benefits Research Institute measures tenure based on age, and they saw younger people on average, their tenures three years and older people, it's 10 years. So people see that differential and they think, right, exactly. Older people are more loyal. But that research institute has been doing that study for 50 years and 50 years ago, the numbers were exactly the same. So it's not a generational issue as much as it is a life stage issue. When I'm 25, I don't know what I wanna do when I grow up. I try <laughs> software sales and then I decide, you know what, I wanna be a dancer. And then I quit and I go try a different career path. Whereas people later in their career, they're closer to retirement. They've done the experimentation and they're more likely to stay. But that's not a millennial baby boomer thing. And it's not an attention deficit disorder thing. And all of these stereotypes we come up with, if we were to replace the label of millennial or baby boomer with a different label, like white, black, Hispanic, Asian, and we were to say, you know, what's it like to attract and engage and retain your black workers? Well, they're more entitled and they're less tech savvy and whatever the stereotypes are we say for generations, it's obvious how inappropriate that is. Mm. And it feels not okay because we've had a lot of conversations about racial stereotyping. We still do it. It still exists, right? But we kind of know it's not okay. And with generational labels, it's like people haven't figured out that it's not okay. And what that does is create a culture without psychological safety, a culture where I, as a younger person in a company, don't feel like I'm seen, like I'm understood, and like I have a future here because you don't even know who I am. So really, we have to abandon these generational stereotypes if you want to create a culture of inclusion. That is fascinating. I love the way that you position this, that it's basically ageism hiding behind a generational label. It's fascinating. I've really never thought of it that way. And I'm sure that the listeners have you know, uh, had this eye-opening moment as well, because it's really true when you think about what the generations are labeling, it is just, there. it's age. It's differences in age, it's age groupings. And, um, you know, my as my mind is like kind of running a million miles a minute on this thought, one of the things that I've talked about in the past, maybe a year and a half or so ago, 
was this idea of how ageism is so prevalent in the workforce. I mean, we see all the time in HR, whether it's a hiring manager or even businesses taking a stance that the, you know, X person that's applied for this job is overqualified or, you know, X person that's applied for this job is, has too much experience. And yet then, you know, the way that that translates is that you have people who are effectively pushed out of the workforce sometimes. Um, and there are so many areas where I, at least I think where we've seen ageism play a role. And this is another important point to consider that generational gaps to your point are based on your research are not necessarily exactly as we perceive them to be. So thank you for sharing that. And actually, I think it's the perfect opportunity for us to talk about the trend that I mentioned before we started recording, which is this idea of the lazy girl job. And I, as I shared with you, I already did an episode on this. And by the time our episode comes out, it'll have been a couple of months and everyone will be able to reflect on what I've said and reflect on the trend, um, whether good or bad, depending on how it kind of continues to roll on. But what is your perspective on this? Obviously, it is aligned to this anti-work movement. Um, and, you know, I definitely would love to hear what your thoughts are on how this type of trend and the clickbait in the title affects people in the workforce today, especially women. The growth of any business relies on the workforce behind it and Namely knows that if you can wow your people, you can power your business. Namely is the all-in-one HR solution that empowers you to engage and develop your people in an intuitive platform so you can make your life easier and your employees happier. Namely's award-winning technology gives your employees the career and connections they need to truly become part of your business. Whether you have 20 or 1,000 employees, Namely handles the essential HR, payroll, and compliance needs all through their modern and integrated platform. With Namely, your team stays engaged with a seamless interface and self-service tools to request PTO, acknowledge peers, review pay stubs, and enroll in benefits while you get the time and data you need to focus on your core business initiatives. As Namely helps you easily handle everything from onboarding, payroll, time tracking, open enrollment, employee engagement, and so much more. Make your life easier and power your business with Namely today. Learn how you can simplify your HR processes today at Namely.com. That's Namely.com. If your company is remote or hybrid, then you know just how difficult it can be to grow your company's culture beyond a pre-scheduled Zoom happy hour or occasional lunch and learn. Well, this week's sponsor is here to solve that. They're called CultureBot. CultureBot has devised what will likely become the gold standard for growing and blossoming a company culture inside of Slack. The app is like a sidekick for any HR or people professional, automating a lot of the mundane tasks you probably are forgetting to do on a daily basis. Things like birthday and work anniversary celebrations, team shout outs and kudos, employee introductions and remote games. It even has health and wellness tips and conversation starters. If that piques your interest, this will get you even more excited. Today, I'm able to share a special promotion for listeners of the podcast. You can get your first six months of CultureBot for 50% off. Plus, if your team is under 25 employees, CultureBot is free forever. So if you're looking for a way to create a culture of appreciation and drive increased engagement and togetherness across your team, I definitely recommend checking out CultureBot. Go to getculturebot.com slash humanhr. That's getculturebot.com slash humanhr to get the offer. Plus, I've added the link in the show notes, so you can just click right there. Now, let's get back to the podcast. 
I had a reporter reach out to me yesterday asking for my position on the lazy girl job <laughs> meme. And I refused to engage because it felt so gross. I mean, I almost vomited in my mouth when I heard about it. I actually am a huge fan of the anti-work movement. I think it's fantastic. We have uh, an opportunity to give voice to the worker that doesn't feel like they have a voice. We're bringing mm -hmm. light to issues that are important to millions of workers in America. And I think it's healthy for the CEOs and the, the markets generally to get a little bit of pushback on working conditions, page gap, equity issues, et cetera. So I love that about the anti-work movement. I think mm -hmm. this is a lazy meme. It's sexist. I have no idea why it's gendered at all. And it just makes me sad for the state of affairs right now. You know, the Barbie movie just came out and I wrote this article about the, the power in that movie in talking about the role of women in the workplace at Culture Partners. We just released some research a few months ago on the power of having more women in leadership roles at work. It actually increases culture strength for both men and women. Clarity of results goes up, and so therefore financial returns go up when you have more women in the workforce. We studied um, like 5,000 employees, and I think wow. across 26 different organizations for that. The results are clear. Why are we going backwards? I just don't understand. And so I'm, you know, opting out of that conversation because it just feels sad to me to even go there. I totally, totally agree. I, what I said in the episode that came out in August, by the time this uh, launches, it's already October. But what I had shared in the episode is that I think the, the movement, the premise, the, the point of it makes so much sense that people should be able to find flexibility in their jobs and not take a pay cut as a result. They should be able to prioritize their work-life balance, whatever. If that is truly the meaning, I, I've watched the videos from the person that you know, essentially created this term. And this is what she's saying is the whole point of what she intended to put out there. Um, but what I shared in the episode is that it feels reckless because we are taking something that is so important, like this movement and this ideology, and we're attributing a, a reckless and a careless and lack of thought or, or like a you know, an unthoughtful title to get as much, you know, press as possible. And I, I just don't think, you know, and when I think of about being for myself, being a woman in business, I think about all of the women that came before me who broke these glass ceilings that allowed me this opportunity to have a podcast that allowed me the opportunity to be in a senior director position for a tech company, right? Like that's, it's not lost on me how much, time and effort has had to um, go into enabling opportunities for people like me. Um, and that said, when I read the title Lazy Girl Job or whatever, I just I can't help but think of the recklessness behind it and the lack of gratitude that is just intrinsic in it. And I get that we're in a society that is really um, in tune with these like fast videos, one minute clips, gifs and memes and all of these things. And we consume content rapidly. But one of the other things that I said is that, you know, it's in a way the the content creator who created this terminology is subscribing to the hustle culture 
that the anti-work movement is supposed to be antithetical to because she is working as a full-time content creator. She now has all of these media outlets contacting her about this, this phrase that she's coined. And there has to be some awareness to the way that what we say and what we do and what we kind of put out there, what that has an impact on and who that has an impact on. Um, so I'm, I, I appreciate your perspective on this. Yeah, and it's not even lazy woman job. It's lazy girl job. Lazy girl which job, which minimizes women even more. It's just sad. I'm yeah. just, I'm out on that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, it's true. I, that's actually a great point. I wish I brought that up in the episode that we we also, I there have been moments in the last five years where someone's called me a girl. And I'm like, I, I graduated from girl long ago. Um, and so it is, it's true. It does certainly feel like we are taking many steps back, even though the, again, the ideology behind it is something that we can all get behind this anti-work. Yeah. And something we talk about a lot in the importance of creating culture is purpose. And our purpose is our moral compass that drives decisions and this, one of the reasons I didn't comment on this with the reporter was because that is so antithetical to our purpose at Culture Partners, which is to unleash the power of culture to inspire people to reach their full potential. And it felt like it was an easy decision when you've got that moral compass of a purpose that's driving your decisions. That woman, you know, probably wanted to get clicks and she got it. You know, mm -hmm. so good on you for aligning with your purpose. I want to work towards something bigger, even if I lose clients over it, even if I don't get as many clicks about it. You know, yeah. I could have had my name in whatever that newspaper was. And I just it's not worth it to me because I get to go to sleep at night knowing that I am contributing towards something bigger. Yeah, great point. And on this note of purpose, I think it's a, a really great point. There has been a lot of discussion, at least that I've seen from HR thought leaders, business leaders, whether it's on LinkedIn or otherwise, um, around this idea of not only finding purpose, but also if you are not in a role that encourages or inspires purpose, that that's okay too, and you can dissociate from the work that you do to create balance. So I see these two very... Um, uh, conversing thoughts uh, online and, and in the things that I'm reading that on the one hand, purpose is what drives us. And I totally agree with that. And then on the other hand, purpose isn't necessarily the only thing that you have to have in order to be successful in your career. And if you're getting stressed out by work, just remove, remove your emotions and find a way to kind of get through, get through to the end or to find the success that you want. So with that, you know, juxtaposition, what are your thoughts on the latter? Like, what would you say to someone who's like, ah, you know, not my favorite job, but I'm just gonna, you know, come in nine to five and then call it a day and it's okay that I'm not fulfilled? Well, let's look at it at a psychological level, at an individual level. Dissociation from our emotions is what we do when we are experiencing trauma. And so to do that at work is to be expressing a form of trauma that's happening on a day-to-day -day basis. And I know that to be true because I've done that. I had a job, 
I used to have a phrase in my family we would repeat called get to Wednesday because Tuesday would be our team meeting and my one-on-one -on -one with my manager. They happened to both fall on Tuesday and I would be so upset every Tuesday because the way that people talked to me, the way that the engagement with my colleagues was so toxic that I was crying all day long every Tuesday. So I just had to get to Wednesday to get over that. And what I called it, it wasn't dissociating. I called it going dark. I said, I'm just going to go dark. And I mm. dissociated emotionally. I stopped caring about the work I was doing. I actually enrolled in school secretly, then got my doctoral degree behind my job's back because I needed something to care about. And that experience, while I got through it, was deeply unhealthy and not something that I would encourage. Now I have purpose. And I'm, we're so passionate about purpose at Culture Partners. It's actually one of the main variables in the culture equation. It's purpose plus strategy powered by culture gets results. Well, we just did a study to test the culture equation in partnership with Stanford, looking at 243 companies across industries, large organizations, and we dug into their purpose, their strategy, their culture, and financial results. And we found companies that operated their culture in alignment with their purpose over the course of three years, they found over 40% revenue growth. Companies wow. that were misaligned in their culture and purpose, their growth over three years was 6.8%. So, I mean, that's 5X revenue growth in three years, simply by being aligned to purpose. So this isn't just some, this would be good for the person to feel empowered or like they're happy at work. This is something that drives business results. And so the great leaders that we get to work with every day and, and some that many, I'm sure that we don't even work with understand the power of purpose. It's why it's caught on like wildfire and it's driving business results because ultimately leaders and employees want the same thing. Leaders want people who give a, you know, give a rip, give a <laughs> hoot about the work that they're doing because when you care, you are proactive, you're problem solving, you show up enthusiastic, right? You're fulfilling mm -hmm. the mission of the organization and employees want a job that they care about. So we all want the same thing. And the, when we have that, it drives business results and fulfillment at a personal level. So there is a way to make this win-win-win, which is why I'm pro anti-work movement because they're pushing us more towards alignment rather than the way we have the story, the narrative now, which is it's us versus them, the leaders versus the frontline workers, the money makers versus the labor, you know, and that's, it's just not mm -hmm. the way that it needs to be. Absolutely. We, when you think about two similar jobs or maybe even the same jobs, different, different companies, if one job is earning, you know, one person is earning $100,000 in job A and they are totally not passionate and dissociating because of trauma that they're experiencing at work. And then in job B, they're earning $100,000 for the same job, but they actually care. That $100,000 feels so much better. And the work and the productivity that they're doing is so much better as a result. I mean, I couldn't imagine not caring about the job that I'm doing. It just sounds like a horrible way to spend 40 plus hours of my week every week. Especially when imagine. you're spending that time. Oh yeah. Especially when you're spending that time away from your family, away from your hobbies, right. away from things that do right. make you feel fulfilled. Absolutely. It's just life Absolutely. 
And with that, I would love to maybe pivot here and just ask a final question for you, for any of the listeners um, who might be interested in really like diving further into this idea of, you know, what fuels culture, how we can drive business results through culture, all of these things that you've enlightened us with today. Are there books that you'd recommend or even um, other uh, avenues for them to educate themselves beyond what um, what they can do to reach out to you and your company, but what can they do to continue this education for themselves? Yeah, I'll give you three book recommendations based on what we talked about today. So the first is um, in driving culture and the results pyramid model that we talked about, read Change the Culture, Change the Game. Excellent book. For accountability, read The Oz Principle. And then for the generational dynamics and stereotypes, read my book, which is Unfairly Labeled, How Your Workplace Can Benefit from Ditching Generational Stereotypes. And then we have uh, takeaways, gifts, research for your listeners. If they want to go to podcast.culture.io, they can take a look at the Stanford research that I shared, um, the women empowerment research that I talked about, and then a lot of other toolkits and resources if they want to drive culture and accountability in their companies. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. I'm sure that they're going to be super excited to hear that. We'll make sure that all of those links are in the show notes. And I guess finally, if someone wanted to connect with you and your company, where should they start? Uh, So go to culturepartners.com and you can also follow me on LinkedIn. I have a weekly newsletter called This Week in Culture and it goes out every Friday and gives you a roundup of what's happening in culture trends and news that week so you can stay abreast of everything culture. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. Really appreciate all of your insights and uh, for educating us on a really important topic. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. It was a great chat. Hey, just before you go, don't forget to subscribe to the show so that you are the first to hear when an episode drops each week. And maybe leave a five-star review and a comment about how much you loved this episode. Plus, if you have someone in mind who would really enjoy this episode, make sure you share it with them. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I'll see you next week.